Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for men in their 40s who want to improve their health through nutrition and fitness. This is episode 123, and on today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Brian Keenan about mindset and how key it is when it comes to health and fitness. Brian is a certified strength and nutritioning coach and a sports nutritionist. Over the last seven years, he's gone from working full-time as a primary school teacher to one of Ireland's top thought leaders on all things health, fitness, and nutrition. But before we get into today's episode, guys, I just want to take a moment to mention the show's sponsors, Athletic Greens. Now, I personally take Athletic Greens as my personal insurance policy, and Athletic Greens was created by its founder, Chris, after he had years of gut health issues that left him facing a health crisis with no solutions in sight. Despite Chris's best effort to maintain a balanced and nourished diet, his body struggled to absorb and synthesize nutrients. Chris has developed Athletic Greens with a mission of creating the highest efficacy and bioavailable and nutritionally complete supplement to help your body function as it's supposed to. Now, as many of you know who are regular listeners to the podcast, I'm a huge advocate of getting all our vitamins and minerals from food. But unfortunately, in today's modern world, that's not always possible. So I take Athletic Greens on a daily basis as an insurance policy, as it has 75 different vitamins and minerals to consume in your body. So for people who are regular listeners of the podcast, Athletic Greens is offering a 10% discount off of your first order. So if you go over to athleticgreens.com forward slash dad you will get 10% off your first order. Hey, Brian, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? The pleasure is all mine, Darren. I'm really looking forward to chatting. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it feels like I know you already, given the content that you put out across socials and specifically Instagram. I was just saying before we recorded, I'm really loving some of the content you're putting out right now. Um, but for people that haven't come across you, Brian, can you give us a bit of background onto Brian and how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, and firstly, thank you so much. I really appreciate the kind words, Darren. But yeah, for those who don't know me, uh, online fitness coach, certified nutritionist, I spend my days helping people in the online space with their fitness goals. So weight loss, fat loss, building muscle, toning up. Um, I have about a 50-50 female to male split. I help both genders um, from my years working as a one-to-one PT until we transitioned into online. We just kept that. Um, and now I spend a lot of my time either working on programs and putting out content on Instagram, on the podcast, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube. But we're, we have an omnipresent social media presence, uh, to be fair. Yeah. We've got a good team that are able to do all the editing and stuff. So we've been able to scale that up for the last while so yeah the last few years has just been mainly focused on that online space and building up social media trying to help people in whatever way we can yeah and and it's really valuable to be honest brian and i will drop the links in the show notes at the end but your content is amazing and you know for, for our audience you know i advocate you know looking and listening to all the guys in the fitness space because some of them are just putting out some amazing content you specifically and um 
one of the things that I wanted to dig in today was around mindset, because as, as I said to you, some of the content you put out is, is really valuable. Uh, and us men, our egos, you know, all kind of we're getting our own, own way. Right. And we think we know it all. We think we can do it all. We think we're bulletproof and we're not. Right. And um, like I said, you know, some of the content that you've been putting out. So but before we kind of go into that, Brian, I'd like to understand kind of what motivated you to get into the fitness space in the first place. It's funny because I was a primary school teacher. I lived in London for four years working as a primary school teacher. So my background is completely outside the world of the health and fitness industry. It was literally teaching kids. And I spent four years getting an undergraduate degree, which is actually in business. And then I went to St. Mary's University in Twickenham to get my postgrad in teaching. And I landed a job straight out of college from university in, in London. And I was about an hour into my first day of teaching. It was a year three class in Chiswick in West London. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I was like, I, this isn't the job I want to do. I was like, what, what am I after doing? Like right. I've spent these, the last four or five plus years with the postgraduate getting a degree. And the only analogy I can give that sums it up in kind of a picturesque way is I felt like I had spent years climbing a ladder and then I got to the top and realized it was against the wrong wall. That, that's mm. how it felt with teaching. And that Christmas, I'd been about six months you know, into my first teaching job, five months into my first teaching job. And I came home and I was talking to my mom and I was telling her, I was like, look, I, I really don't like my job. I was like, mm. you know, the kids are cool. The school is cool. But I'm like, I, I was like, I really don't want to get out of bed every morning and go to work. Mm. And she's like, well, what would you do for free? And I was like, well, that's a good question. I was like putting to my 22 year old self. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I was like, yeah. I, the gym. I was like, do you know what? I was like, if I was cleaning floors in a gym, I'd be really happy. I love training. I love fitness. I love that environment. Right. And then I went down that rabbit hole of, well, what kind of jobs? I was so ignorant to it in terms of how you could potentially make a career on something that wasn't a nine to five or in the case of teaching eight to four, you know, a traditional job. I was very much brought up not thinking that I didn't have any entrepreneurs around me, very few people who were self-employed around me. So I never asked those questions, but I started to dig into that rabbit hole and I said, okay, I'm going to sign up to a fitness instructor course. So I went back that January that was 2012. And I signed up for a fitness instructor course and I was hooked there. And then Darren, I was like, Oh my God, I was like, this is what I want to do. So very quickly I went on and did my personal training, my level three, I went on to my strength and conditioning badges, my sports nutrition. And over the space of two years, then I worked as a teacher during the day and I worked as a personal trainer at nighttime and right. you know, had a lot of setbacks, had a lot of failures, had a lot of issues with that. But Eventually, in 2014, after two years of doing both, I said, well, I'm going to make it, a, give this a go. I'm going to give fitness a go. I'm going to give personal training a go. So I moved back home to Ireland, the west of Ireland, where I grew up. I moved back in at my mom and dad. My sister gave me her, like, crappy little Toyota Yaris that was nearly as old as I was, like <laughs> a car that I had to leave an hour early for work every day just in case it didn't start so I could get a lift and organize a lift. Yeah. Very grateful for it, you know, but it's, uh, that was 2014. And I said, I'm going to give this personal training business a go and see if I can make this work full time. I gave myself a runway of six months. I was like, if I'm not successful or I'm not making enough money to survive in six months, I'll go back teaching. I right. was like, I, ha I have a fail safe. I have a safety net. But 
it exploded. It did so well in the first six, seven, eight months. I had to bring on another trainer to clear my waiting lists. And then it grew from there. In 2016, we moved online fully. Then my daughter was born the year before. And I was spending a lot of hours in the gym one-to-one and I needed to find a way to scale it. So mm. we moved into the online space in 2016 and we've been there ever since. So I wasn't in the kind of traditional fitness space in terms of how I grew up with it. I was in a completely different career path. You know, I, I, I have a third of a master's in pedagogy for teaching, you know, and I, I just, I stopped doing that. I'm like, why, why am I doing this? I was like, I don't want to be a yeah. head teacher. I'm like, like yeah. I'm doing all this research and all of this. So I didn't enjoy any of that. So I left that and transitioned did a complete 180 into the fitness industry. Now it's funny, like, you know, this Darren, it's what you're doing now it's effectively teaching. You know, I do a yeah. lot of videos, a lot of courses, a lot of programs, a lot of podcasts, a lot of content that's effectively teaching, breaking down complicated ideas. But instead of breaking down compound fractions for year five and nine and 10 year olds, I'm yeah. breaking down caloric deficits for people so that they can understand basic energy input, energy output for fat loss. So it's basically the same area that I'm in. It's just mm. in a completely different region that you know, doesn't feel like work to me. Like I haven't felt with the exception of some days when you're super busy and you have to do things yeah. most days now. And over the last two years, particularly it doesn't feel like work. I have a great team around me. I would take all the clients I take. I have a very strict pre-qualifying for people. I normally get them to consume my content first, either read a book or listen to specific episodes so that they know what they're getting when they're coming to work with me. And as a result, I have brilliant clients that I work with. So I love working with them. And you know, that's not the case in the beginning. It takes a long no. time to get there, of course, for people listening. Um, but I love what I do now. So that's how I got into the kind of health and fitness and wellness industry that I'm in now. Yeah. And it, and it definitely shows. It definitely comes across in all your content and the way that you approach things. And, you, you know, this, like you say, it's effectively teaching. But I just want to pick up on, on the question that your mum asked you, because I think that's enough fantastic question to ask a child i mean how many parents do that right because you generally when you when you're speaking to your your, your children or your parents are speaking to you it's like what job can you do to earn money but what a great approach like what would you do for free because that's effectively telling you to go and follow your passion right and yeah. for, for, for me watching you you can clearly see that this is like completely passionate for you um, so I just think that's a, a great point to pick up on. But but the other thing that I want to pick up on there is, again, you know, switching, totally switching careers after you've changed, you know, you, you spent so many years of your life training for this. Many guys listening to this wouldn't do that, right? Maybe they have commitments, so that's fair enough. But they just wouldn't completely switch careers if they weren't happy. And there's so many people that I come across that have careers that they're really, they're just doing it to pay the bills, right? Um, like you say, when you find something that you are genuinely passionate about, it's not work, right? And people think, oh, this is a bit of a woo-woo comment. It's not. It generally is not because you get such a buzz out of it, don't you? When you see the results of the clients. 100%. Like, that's the, like, it's such a cliche and I never understood it until I went into the fitness industry that, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I, I just never got it. Yeah. I've always worked for money. You know, like I, I was working cleaning dishes and pots since I was 13 in a local hotel to earn money to buy football boots. Like I had always worked and I never really liked what I did. Mm. And then when I went into fitness and when I got my first, I think it was 25 pound. I got my first ever one-to-one -one hour as a PT. And I was like, I can't believe somebody gave me 25 pound for this. I was yeah. like, I, I, I can't believe this. And I still have that now. And I'm so grateful and fortunate for the position I'm in, but it's true. Like, it's a superpower. If you can find the thing that doesn't feel like work, 
it's a superpower because you know you're consuming information you're reading books like if i have a client who's stuck you know one of my girls at the minute is really struggling with her thyroid so i'm in pubmed and i'm researching because i'm like i wonder what's causing that and mm. that's my curiosity and i love what i do that doesn't feel like work but when i come back to her with some potential solutions she's mm. like oh my god that's so helpful thank you so much and that happens in other areas but that doesn't feel like work to me because it, it's my area of curiosity and if you follow that path and you follow the things you're curious about you know it's not necessarily a follow your passion because not everybody can be fortunate enough to make a living out of what they're passionate about you know some people are true. passionate about playing football playing basketball but they're not going to be lebron james or cristiano ronaldo they just they don't have the genetics they don't have whatever it is that, to do that and you just pivot out slightly. I would still do that. So I can't necessarily say follow your passion and you'll get there, but definitely following your curiosity. I think mm. the things that make you jump out of bed every morning, the things that make you excited to get up the following morning, like I didn't have that when I was a teacher. Like I knew, Darren, every Friday, I knew it was the weekend. And, you know, I had a, me and four of my pals had season tickets to Arsenal when I lived in London. And it was like football was my escape. Like I could tell you who was on the Arsenal's reserve reserves and who was on the injured list. Like mm. I, I was just trying to escape because I wasn't really happy with what was going on in my life. So I'm like, this was my form of escapism. And every Monday I was like, oh, I know I'm going back to work. Now, it wasn't a dread. I didn't hate teaching. Like, I actually think it's easier when somebody hates what they're doing because yeah. hate is a, is a strong motivator for change. You hate your relationship. You hate your business. You hate your body. You hate whatever. That's a strong motivating factor for change. I had what I call in my second book, Rewire Your Mindset, that yeah, it's okay syndrome. You know, when somebody asks you, yes. you know, what's your job like? You're like, yeah, it's okay. I'm like, yeah. ooh, I don't ever want my answer from my job, from my relationship with my partner, from my relationship with my daughter, from my family. I don't want any, my answer to ever be, yeah, it's okay. I want it to be exceptional or, you know, at least to the bar that I said it. And it's, it's a really interesting point. As, as you said there, the power of questions. My mom asked me, what would you do for free? You'd be so surprised at what direction and what doors open up when you ask that question mm -hmm. because the ego keeps us back. Like I, I we talked, you talk, touched on it at the very top of the podcast, Darren. Like for me, I was very fortunate, just to preface, I didn't have the commitments of a mortgage, of kids, of family. I could make the jump. I was 22, mm. 23, I could make the jump. Not everybody can do what I did in 2014. I was, what, 24, 26 in 2014. So getting the years kind of muddled up in my head. But I was 26 in 2014. So I didn't have those commitments. I could give myself a six-month runway time, and if it didn't work, I could go back into my safety net. Not everybody yeah. can do that, but if you do have commitments, a mortgage, payments that you need to make, children, you know, people to support, you might do it as a side hustle. You might do it on the side where yeah. you're doing a little bit, an hour or two every day, and if things start to take off and you start to build a little bit of momentum in the thing that you're doing, you, you go from there and you, you kind of you follow that lead. That's why for two years I couldn't, get out of my head. One of the reasons I'm so focused on mindset with myself and others is it was my head that held me back, Darren, yeah. when I got qualified first. I just, I didn't believe one in myself. I didn't have the confidence to believe that I could make a living doing something that wasn't quote unquote, safe and secure, trial and tested, you know, such as teaching, you know, self-employment. And now it's, it's different. Now I run an LLC now, so it's slightly different. But in the beginning, it was self-employment. I didn't have the confidence in myself to make that jump. So I had mm. to do it part time and build up that confidence over time. And then when I started to get clients who got results and started to look really good and tell people about me and referring yeah. me, I'm like, 
oh my God, actually, there might be something in this personal training, fitness industry thing. And that helped me build confidence. Like you build confidence through competence, but you don't have any competence in the beginning of a new journey. You get that by, you know, either getting results with people in the context of business, or if it's your own personal mindset by repeatedly keeping promises with yourself. Like that's how you build confidence. You know, whatever that looks like, you know, you're going to read a chapter of a book and you did it regardless of how you felt. You prep your meals because you want to lose weight and you're tired after work, but you knew you needed to do it for the following day. There are little steps and building blocks of confidence that you build over time. I call it the confidence table. It's like adding small legs to a table. If you have one leg on a table, anyone can knock it. That's what your confidence is like. But if you consistently add those small legs by repeatedly keeping promises to yourself, you you start adding legs to that table and you build your confidence over time. That's what I had to do. It took about two years to make the jump. And then thankfully it did work out, you know, but I also had the safety net. I couldn't make the jump completely myself. And the ego issues, I had to spend so much time, Darren, to move back into my mom and dad for my sister to give me a crappy little car that barely yeah. worked when I was 26. Like yeah. that age when your, your, your peer group is nearly everything to you still. You're finding yourself, but your peer group is everything. Hopefully in your 40s, you're out of that to a degree. You know, mm. some of you out of it completely. Some of you on the process of working out of it. But at 26, I was afraid to tell people, you know, I was yeah. like, well, I'm moving back home with my mom and dad. Like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but it was a case of, I was so clear at that point that my ladder was up against the right wall. I was right. like, I love what I'm doing. I was like, I actually don't even care if I don't make a lot of money with this. I'm very fortunate with the way the business has gone, the money that I make. But that was, that's, a, that's a side benefit of making the jump. And all I wanted to do was earn a living. I'm like, if I can pay for food, pay for my rent when I'm in an yeah. apartment or wherever it is, I'm going to be happy doing that. And because of that, it was easy. Like you're getting out of bed and you're putting in more work and more hours than other people. And as I said, it looks like a superpower from the outside, but it's not. It's just that you're curious and you're interested and you're passionate Mm. and you love what you're doing. And that adds up and compounds positively over time. So wherever anyone's starting point is, whether it's business or whether it's fitness or whether it's health in general, like just get clear and you can start to follow those paths. I think it transcends into other areas, but it starts with your mindset and getting your head right first. Because if you don't do that, nothing will follow from it. Yeah, that's great. And I completely agree. Mindset is everything. But I think as as men and males, we have evolved, particularly my age group, right, that the you're supposed to be resilient, you know, big men don't cry, man up and all this kind of stuff. And when I have guys approach me to work with us, um, you know, in our programs, I often find that it's not the nutrition and it's not the fitness the biggest challenge they have is with themselves right Mm -hmm. and they don't like to admit it because the ego gets in the way and you know there is self-confidence issues there's body image issues you know so there's lots of things that that they have to contend with that they perhaps haven't considered now one of the obviously you know you've just demonstrated loads of different elements there around ego around resilience you know actually taking the jump to switch obviously you did it in a safe and secure way but what i want to dig into with you brian is 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 around mindset and around resilience and i know you've written books on it as well um because i think it's just something we need to start talking about as middle-aged men to to kind of harness that and know ourselves better yeah it's all self-awareness like a lot of this game is self-awareness bringing it back to yourself and ego is an enemy you know i think Ryan Mm. holiday's book is titled ego is the enemy and it's so true like 
ego in context is really helpful. You know, in certain contexts, when you need a little bit of confidence, especially in the beginning of a journey, like if we keep the analogy I used earlier, Darren, of the confidence table, like at the start of a journey, when you don't have a lot of legs to your confidence table, it's easy to knock you. So mm. sometimes being using your ego to be like, I'm going to make it. I'm right. going to make this work is very, very useful. Yeah. But the same as any tool, it normally, if, if, if there's a point when it no longer works for you, you right. know, and for me in the beginning, like a lot of my stuff was driven by ego. Like I used words of family members and friends who told me I was an idiot for quitting teaching. Like they're the things that got me up at five o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm like, I'll show you. I was like, that's ego. And right. That was really useful from going from zero to one, but that's not so useful going from, you know, two to five or five to 10. You have to either remove yourself from the ego because it's not helpful after a certain point and realize that you bring yourself awareness to it. And all these other things you've told yourself are self-created stories. Like, you know, real men don't cry, cry, cry as you said. Men don't ask for help is another one. Yeah. I can do it myself. The gym, we see it all the time. It's fine, I'll do it myself. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's, it's, it's one of the best things in life you can cultivate is the ability to ask good questions and to ask for help. Like there is people out there who know more than you on a particular topic. You know, I'm the same. I, I can go to books, I can go to podcasts, I can go to coaches, I can go to do different courses for people who are more schooled in the thing I'm trying to learn and you're learning from their mistakes and you're learning from their expertise but that's just ego that's not letting you do that so it's a case what I always think about with ego and a lot of my guys very similar to you Darren that I work with if I have a guy who comes to me in their early 40s who's looking to get in great shape and ego is the thing that's dominating them and they just can't let go of whatever mm. their thought process is I'm like the, the analogy I give them is it's like trying to fix you know what deciding on what curtains you should have in your house when you don't have any roof I'm mm. like, you should probably fix your roof first and then yeah. we can decide on the curtains. In the analogy, you should fix your issue with your ego and then we can add in your nutrition and we can add in your training. So you're, you're looking at the order of importance. And I think different things hold people back. You know, for me, it was a, it was a safety mechanism for sure. Like mm. holding on to my ego and having that ego attachment was something that made me feel safe and secure. It made me feel protected. It made me feel bulletproof because I didn't have outside of my mom and my sister and maybe one or two others, a very supportive network when I was making the transition. And as a result of that, I had to keep my walls up. I had to be very, yeah. not egotistical, but there's a fine line between self-belief and ego, you know, yes, where you, you, you believe you can make something happen, you know, versus I'm you, you, willfully going against what's happening in reality, you know, and ego is very, very important to get a hold of. So there's lots of different tools and lots of different techniques out there for people. But the main thing you need to be aware is if ego is holding you back, that tool is no longer serving you. So the first thing you need to do is get a control and get a manage of that or get it under some form of where it's not holding you back anymore because it doesn't matter what you want to do after that, run a marathon, get in great shape, start a business, you know, be the best father yeah. you can be, be the best partner or husband you can be. It doesn't really matter. Once you've removed that, you're able to see things more objectively. The analogy I use in the book is like you're taking a 3,500 airplane view of your life and you can look yeah. down and see things for how they actually are. When you have ego attachment, you're too close to situations. It's the forest amongst the trees. You can't see it. You're too yeah. close. 
And as a result, you make bad mistakes. I've done it. Like yeah. all my, I can hand on heart say, and I've made so many mistakes in my life, ridiculous amounts. Like the only difference is I try not to make the same ones over and over again. Not always successful with that either, but I try not to at least. But they've came from places of ego where I've yeah. been too emotional as a result of my ego feeling like it was attacked. And that's not a good position to make any decision in your life. So if you need to manage that, I would try and get a hold of it because I think it's really important for any guy, but particularly those in, their early 30s, early 40s plus, just because if you haven't sorted it out before you hit your 40s, it means you need to actively do it because yeah. it's not going to passively happen. It could passively happen in your 20s. Experiences, you know, whatever it is, psychedelics potentially, you know, yeah. um, meditation, all these other things can potentially have that ego dissolution, you know, conversations with people. But if it hasn't happened in your 40s, there's a good chance you're going to need to do something actively. So be mindful of that as well. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And it was definitely for me in my 40s. There was you know, some pretty major life events that happened kind of in my early 40s. That Actually, I took that as life saying, hang on a minute, you need to wake up a little bit here. And there's a big lesson to learn. So I think becoming more self-aware is so, so important. And often what I find, Brian, and it'd be good to get your view on this, is Generally, when people haven't dealt with that or they kind of brush off, no, it's not ego. I don't need to sort out my ego. I've got no problems with that, is that they then start to come up with all kinds of excuses, right? So when you start to coach them, oh, I couldn't do this because of why, or I couldn't get this food because of, you know, what, what, how do you approach that with people that, that really, it's almost like getting out of their own way, isn't it? It's like, come on become more self-aware, wake up a little bit, and you can actually achieve way more than what you're doing right now? It's a really good question, Darren. And I think realizing that most of your excuses come from a lack of ownership and responsibility on the front end, you know, mm. extreme ownership for decisions you make, for the way you see things, for the way you've reacted. And also the removal of ego for me, and I can only speak firsthand experience here, it allows you to remove some of the emotional sting with previous decisions that you've made and mistakes that you've made. And in my experience, that has allowed me to rewire something like failure, which for me in my own language in my early 20s was failure is an end product or worse, I'm tying the thing that I've done to myself that I'm quote unquote a failure. When you're able to step away from your ego and when you're able to see it objectively, you can see that that failure is feedback. It's right. feedback on what not to do next time. And if you were so emotionally involved in a situation and your ego is taking over in whatever decision you're making, that and not learning from that mistake, you know, it's the old cliche that, you know, what you resist will persist. It'll just keep happening over mm. and over again. The same mistakes. I see it a lot in my area where people are going from diet to diet to diet right. to diet to diet. I'm like the definition, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different results. But we do it in all different areas. Some people do it with diet. Some people do it with relationships. I have failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship until, you know, I met my partner and she's the most amazing person now. But I had to use a lot of removing myself from the ego because mm. I was the, the person that would come out of a failed relationship and be like, they're the problem. 
Yeah. They're the problem. Not realizing that there was a common denominator in all <laughs> the mistakes in the relationship and putting the fingers back on me. And then as soon as I started to do that, I'm like, oh my God, it's my stuff I need to deal with, you mm-hmm. know? And I had to do a lot of work, you know, going to therapy, working through some traumas, working through some issues that I've had. Like I had to do a lot of stuff to delve into well, what's going on. Like, why am I repeating these same patterns over and over again? And then once I was able to bring awareness to them, like awareness is the first step towards change. And once you've got the awareness of it, you can make changes going forward and you're not making the excuses like excuses. You know, they're like farts. They sound great to you, but nobody else like nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares about your excuses, you know, and you can live in that comfort of making an excuse over and over and over again. Or you can decide to take responsibility and ownership and potentially change the scenario that you're not happy with. Like, mm. you know, you're, there's, not, there's no superheroes out there. Like, no one's coming to save you. Like, no. you're in your 40s, you know, in your 50s, in your 20s. It doesn't matter what age you are. No mm. one's coming to save you. Like, no. you know, you're not a six or seven-year-old. You don't have that person that might swoop in. You have to do it yourself. And it comes from taking responsibility. It comes from taking that ownership on the front end that... I'm the problem here. I'm the common denominator. And that's hard in the beginning. Like the first first step of removing yourself from ego is the most difficult. It actually gets considerably easier after that because I know when I'm reacting emotionally, I talk about it in my, in my book, um, rewire your mindset about purple polar bears, like purple polar bears are, if I say to you, Darren, you know, you're a purple polar bear. You're like, all right, okay, mate. And you forget about it. And you, you know, you're like, well, that guy's a bit weird. But if I say, you know, Darren, you're a crap dad. And you're like, Oh, that hurts. Yeah. Or if I say, Darren, you're, you know, a lazy slob, you know, and you're like, oh, why did one of those comments hit and not the purple polar bear? It's because you have an emotional attachment to them. It's because your ego is speaking to you and feels attacked. And yeah. every time somebody calls me out on something and I'm in a very, I will say, fortunate position online because of the amount of followers I have and presence I have. And I don't, I have a lot of, it's 99.9% of it is positive. But every once in a while, someone will come into the space without context and they're like, X, Y, Z, you're this, that, or the other. And most of the time it slides off my back because I'm like, well, that's Mm. not true. I was like, I don't agree with that. But every once in a while, a comment will come in and I'm like, oh, that stings. That stings really badly. And then I have to check in with it. I'm like, but that's my ego. That's not my true self. That's not my higher thinking. That's nothing else. That's my ego. My ego is hurt, but my ego is also giving me feedback that I need to handle this. I need to deal with this. There's a problem here. There's an issue here that I clearly didn't, wasn't aware of because Mm. if somebody says, you know, Brian, you're a crap dad. I'm like, that doesn't hit me. That, that, that rolls right off my back. I'm like, I don't believe that to be true. I was like, in fact, I actually don't believe that to be true at all. Mm. But if somebody says, you know, you're not so much now, but an experience I had back when I used to do bodybuilding was I remember somebody commented on me like, you know, your legs are really small. They used to be a lot bigger. And this is when I had a lot of my self-worth tied into the way that I looked right. when I was competing in bodybuilding. And I was like, you know, I don't know, you can bleep this out if you have to, but I was like, fuck you. My legs are small. <laughs> like, I, I, and then I spent the next 20 minutes looking in the mirror in the gym going, geez, my legs have got a bit small. And that comment really hurt me at the time. This was in 2015 when I was preparing for the world in Vegas. I was a professional fitness model competing in bodybuilding. And I had all my self-worth tied into the way that I looked. And I didn't realize it at the time. On reflection and hindsight, I can see and go back and realize I didn't have a small issues problem. I had a self-worth issue. Like Mm -hmm. my self-worth was tied to the way that I looked because in my world and my story, 
The better I looked, the better I did in shows. The better I did in bodybuilding and fitness model shows, the more respect I'd have. The more respect I'd have, the higher my reputation. The more reputation I had, the more people that would like me. And this was my, this is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. This was my thoughts. We all have these like strings of thoughts. If you pull the thread on them, you're like, where's that going? And yeah. that was my problem. That had nothing to do with my legs. I had a self-worth issue because I didn't feel like people would like me. And when you're able to unpack it and you keep asking that question, why? Why do I feel this way? What, yeah. What's going on here? You can get to the root of it, but most of it is down to ego because those things still pull from my attention every once in a while where I'll see somebody out there. I call it comparison syndrome in the book where you see somebody who is doing, and this is a weird one because the story I use in the book, Darren, is do you care about tennis is the name of the section because I don't care about tennis. Don't, don't care. I can name off maybe yeah. two or three tennis players. So if somebody on my Instagram feed comes up and they're like won the world title tennis tournament i'm like good for them good yeah. for them you know that's that's cool go, yeah. go tennis go you but if somebody has a best-selling book or somebody has a number one podcast and somebody's doing something that i deem valuable not so much now but in the past right i would get insecure instantly and be like fuck but i was like why am i doing that why don't i have that yeah why isn't my book selling that many why don't i have that many reviews why don't my why doesn't my podcast have more than you know ten thousand downloads why do they have more and that's what it, when I realized that, that if this was tennis, I wouldn't care. Right. And that's how I know my ego is speaking, because it's only the things we deem valuable. We tend to compare ourselves to what to the other people that we yeah. consider of this thing to be a value. And every time that happens, thankfully, it happens very rarely now because my value is in different things. How am I showing up as a partner? How am I being as a dad? How am I being as a son? How am I being with my inner circle and closest friends? I have different values now, yeah. you know, in terms of where my self-worth comes from Mm. but several years ago it wasn't as clear and then every time that would happen that was one of my tools in my arsenal every time i'd feel that insecurity or that comparison syndrome in whatever it is this is different for different people somebody looks better than you has a more attractive wife nicer car more money whatever it is i would say would i care if this was tennis and in most cases i'm like no you you wouldn't and that was the first step towards realizing that this is my ego speaking shut the fuck up and then you're able to work through it um so that's that's, that's one of the tools that I use, and I think it's really helpful. Extreme ownership, taking responsibility, identifying your comparison syndrome, asking yourself what your version of tennis is. You, you, know, you yeah. might love tennis, so it might be something different. And then just repeating that until you get to the point where you realize that your ego is speaking, or that's what's in your head, or it's an emotional reaction you're having. You're not thinking from rational thought or higher self or true self or whatever language you want to put in it based on your belief system. Yeah. That's the important thing, because at least you can get to the root of the problem then, and then you can start to make decisions that impact your life in a positive way and realize that you're not getting in your own way, or your ego is not getting in your own way and you yeah. can just remove and then start to move forward towards whatever it is you're looking to do yeah absolutely no i completely agree and it's a process isn't it you know it takes time it's not something that we can buy off the shelf or flick a switch and it happens overnight you have to realize it's a process and often i would say a relatively painful process if you're genuinely you know want to change this and you want to change and you want to change the sequence of events in your life it's going to take time and it's, there's going to be some pain there. But often what I find, Brian, is around nutrition, right? Uh, and how this relates to nutrition. Because more often than not, when I first speak with a new client and we talk about diet, their words to me are, I eat healthily or I eat good. And then when you challenge that, right, this is when it all comes up, okay? And I often find that quite challenging because it's that point that they don't want to accept it. In their mind's eye, they have 
I need to get fit. So I just need to work out. And when I flick the switch and say, actually, we need to work on your nutrition first, then we'll get the, the, the fitness dialed in. So around that, then what kind of things or tools do you use with, with the people that you work with to, to kind of help them understand that, you know, nutrition is, is a fundamental element of what they want to achieve? When I have a guy come to me who thinks that with nutrition, they're like, I eat healthy, I just need to work out. I'm like, okay, fixing training before you fix your nutrition is like wiping your ass before you take a shit. I'm like, <laughs> the, the order matters. I'm like, yeah. you know, and it's not, you know, you can do that, but it's going to be a lot messier. And training and nutrition are the same. You can train and not fix your diet, but you're not going to get the results that you want, especially not as quickly, if ever. And nutrition plays such a massive role in progress, regardless of the goal. It mm -hmm. is 80 to 90% of progress for weight loss. It's probably closer to 60 to 70% for muscle building and performance, you know, and it's, it's, it's in that range for energy and just overall health as well. So it's the massive portion of a health journey or a fitness journey. So it's crucial to get it. Also unpacking that, you know, I eat healthy. Healthy is such a subjective term. Like if you ask me, and I'll use myself as an example here so that I'm not like hanging anyone out to dry. <laughs> if you asked me in 2014, when I was competing in bodybuilding, I was walking around really lean, six, 7% body fat. I was doing a lot of photo shoots. I was one of those fitness model twats. Yeah. And I was doing a lot of those kind of photos and photo shoots and brands and stuff like that. But I would have told you I ate really healthy. But right. I didn't eat really healthy. I ate a lot of chicken and broccoli and sweet potato, but I had massive binge restrict cycles. You know, I would be clean and have low calories Monday to Friday. And then I would binge out on three or four tubs of Ben and Jerry's on a Saturday night. Like that's not healthy, first and foremost. Also, chicken, broccoli and rice isn't necessarily healthy because you're missing out on loads of other nutrients. And but I would have swore to you back then, well, I eat really healthy, you know, and my version of healthy now is, you know, a lot of plants and good complete amino acid sources from protein, good healthy fats. But if you ask me in five, 10 years, that could change as well. I think mm. healthy is so subjective based on the person. So unpacking that in the beginning is really important because what's healthy for one person isn't healthy for others. I've had people, Darren, who swear to me that protein bears, these are the healthiest thing. I'm getting my protein. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. I'm not anti-protein bears. I love them. I love a yeah. salted caramel fulfill bear. Don't get me wrong. But they're chocolate bears with 20 grams of protein. I'm like, yeah. don't be fooled. You know, yeah. like- once you see them for what they are, but you have people who will eat the protein bars, they get all the protein from those and from shakes. They're like, I eat really healthy. I'm like, mm. I was like, that's a subjective term. So that's important to recognize on the front end. After that, it's making those small, consistent changes. Like mm. the thing is with nutrition, it's so much easier to fall down in nutrition than training because training yeah. is such a small portion of your day. It's 40 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe an hour plus if you're a really intense trainer. Yeah. But nutrition is, it's not 24-7. You're asleep for some of that time, but it's a large portion of your day. So if you don't get that right, your progress is going to be minimal or it's, at least it's not going to be maximized. And how you do it and how you approach it then depends on the person. You know, I've always been a believer, Darren, that like it's, it's, it's square pegs and square holes when it comes to nutrition. You know, certain things work for certain people. Some people yes. love intermittent fasting. Some people love clean eating. Some people love flexible dieting. Some people love ketogenic diets coming on and off it. Lots of different things work for different people. I would always say, well, what's the context? You know, what are you looking right. to do? What's your goal? What's the main thing you're looking to do? And then what's the nutritional strategy that helps you get there and that you can sustain over the long term? And then mm -hmm. once you do that, it's just about consistency. You know, I have a post going up today about consistency. Like consistency is a word yeah. that gets thrown around in the fitness industry. Now, it is the most important thing, 
with the caveat, like you can consistently do the wrong thing as well. Yes. So you want to make sure that your, your ladder is against the right wall or you're at least pointing in the right direction. But once you're in alignment with your goals, you're including foods that you enjoy for the most yeah. part and finding a nutritional plan you can stick to, it's just about being consistent after that and the results will come. Yeah, definitely. And I think around nutrition, the psychology element of it is huge, isn't it? Because there's so much emotion associated with food uh, and particularly in social uh, events as well. And, and, you know, things that we've been restricted from over the last few years, you know, it, 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 people that, that follow a restrictive regime, whatever modality that is, you know, keto, paleo, whatever it is, it never, never works, does it? Because psychologically, we're not wired to be restricted from things. No, unless you're upper echelon of sporting performance, yeah, hundred mile ultra marathons competitively, Ironman triathlon, pro footballer, pro bodybuilder, who will just eat for fuel and function, and they're like, "Cool, I've sacrificed, I've made my decision, yeah, that I'm not going to have these foods or these social elements. I, I'm focused on this goal over here." That's zero point zero 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 one percent of the population. The majority aren't going to be able to stick to those restrictive diets. And then after that, it's about like the main thing that I try and educate people on, Darren, and you know this from my content, is the nutritional fundamentals. Mm. I'm like, there's some basic fundamentals you need to understand. Like you need to understand calories, their energy for the body, how they work. Macronutrients is also useful to understand protein, carbs, and fats, and the food sources that fall within them, and how food choices and the nutrients in those foods affect your body, your hormones, your energy levels, your satiation, how you feel overall. Like they're basic nutritional principles. Once you have a kind of a grasp on that, everything else is up for, well, what can you stick to? What do you like to do? Yeah. You know, and in the case of a balance, if you have a goal for weight loss or building muscle, you can have the best of all worlds. Like I've got one of my guys in my program at the minute who's literally went out for six pints on Saturday night. And he's like, went out for six pints, normally have 12 and I didn't have a takeaway and I didn't have a fry up in the morning. And I'm like, good job. I'm yeah. like, amazing. I was like, you've saved a massive amount of calories there straight yeah. away and he still had a six pints he's like i had a great night out you know i came home went to bed got up in the morning was back on my plan as normal i was like amazing yeah. brilliant so they're the things where people sometimes have a kind of an all or nothing approach you know i can't have any beer you know need to lose yeah. weight can't have beer I'm like why? why 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 can you not have beer like why can you not have chocolate why can you not have ice cream mm. like you know i have people sometimes come into my program i have a chapter on this in the new book in january but the last supper where they'll eat out of house and home, like all the sweets in the house where they're like, oh, I'm starting the plan on Monday. And I'm like, okay, awesome. I'm like, where are the foods going on Monday? I'm like, did Tesco decide that they're not selling chocolate anymore because yeah. they're starting a diet plan? They're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, they're still going to be there. I'm like, so we'll include them if we need to. So nutrition is all about sustainability. And in a lot of cases with things like the ketogenic diet, and I'm a big fan of keto if I'm training for mm. an ultra marathon or a triathlon, it's really useful, but a terrible strategy for weight loss because it's so restrictive and there's easier yeah. ways to do that. So there's different tools, different things work for different people. It's just about finding what works best for you. Yeah, definitely. And I think you touched on there earlier about when, you know, particularly when people, you, you've got sports people or, you know, kind of age group athletes, that they have a goal and they have a purpose in mind. And for me, that's really important, isn't it? That you've got that reason why you're doing it. Because when time gets tough, family gets tough, career gets tough, life gets in the way, that's what will have you fall off unless you've kind of got that guiding North Star. 100%. Like, if you don't know why you're doing it, it's too easy to not do it. Like, mm. you know, to not eat the meals that are going to support the goal, to not do the training session. Like, I've been training, Darren, nearly 20 years. 13, I started lifting weights. 16, I joined the gym. I'm 34 next month. 
and I've been training a long time and I still have to set goals or else I can't motivate myself to get up in the morning to train. Like I'm training, I have a marathon in two weeks. So right. I've been doing my running and training for a marathon. Like I have to be training for a race, for an event, for something. Like my goals yeah. have shifted out of body composition into performance now, you know, in, in recent years, in the last four or five years. But it's relative. Some people it's getting ready for a, a wedding, a festival, an event yeah. you know, post COVID that you want to look your best for. For others, it's training for a 5k, 10k, half marathon, full marathon. There's lots of different things to potentially train for, but you need something you're working towards. And I can speak to as somebody who would consider myself quite self-disciplined when it mm. comes to nutrition and training in general, but I can go off the rails as well if I'm not training for something specific. Yeah. So I have to manifest those goals. Like Darren, I'll sign up to races that I have no intention in doing just because it sets my mind that I'm going to be like, well, I'll focus towards that. You yeah. know, I'll sign up to a marathon or an ultra or a triathlon. And I'm like, probably not going to make that because it coincides with a course release or a book release or whatever, but it gives me focus for training. And then if I feel I'm ready in the lead up to it, I'll do it, you know, mm. but that's just my way of keeping me on track, particularly things like, you know, running, that I don't particularly enjoy doing compared to say weightlifting, CrossFit, bodybuilding yeah. workouts. I quite like those workouts, you know, and they're largely just habits. You, you know, get up in the morning and you go, but I find you need a goal for me anyways. And again, I'm not sure if you're the same, but yeah. having something you're working towards is it's a missing link in yeah. a lot of failure stories or quote unquote, not failure, but like people who have pitfalls and fall off their fitness journey. It's just because they didn't know why they were doing it in the first place because they didn't have a goal they were working towards. Yeah, no, I completely agree. For, for me, you know, as long as I've got an event booked, it makes me work harder. You know, even if I haven't got an event, but I'll still do it. But I know that I'm not getting the maximum amount of my training. So I'm like, well, what's the point in that then? I need to maximize what I'm doing. So if I've got an event booked, I know what my season's like, I, you know, you can drive yourself forward. So look, we, we've covered some really good stuff there, Brian. But I think for people listening to this that may be, um, struggle with consistency they maybe recognize they've got a bit of an ego problem what five key things would you let them take away today that they could kind of help to to kind of improve that i'll take it a little bit broader because okay. when it comes to five things that deal with ego it's such a relative issue based on experiences based on potential traumas you've gone through based on uh, you know, all the things that have happened to you in your life so far, keeping yeah. in mind with those experiences that it's hard to unpack specific ego. What I will give is some potential things to consider. Right. And some of the mindset misconceptions that will hold you back. And if you can manage your ego and then apply these tools, you're going to find, and again, not preaching, but as someone yeah. that's found benefit from it personally, you're going to get a lot of benefit from potentially applying it. So the first thing is building on a point we made earlier, and that's rewiring failure as feedback. Yeah. Failure is one of the greatest things that you can change your relationship with that will give you feedback on what way you should be moving your life forward. Every mm -hmm. failed relationship, every failed diet, every failed business, you know, I didn't get into it. It took me three attempts to get my business off the ground. Like right. it's all feedback on what doesn't work. So rewiring your relationship with, with failure. Second one is fear separating real fear from perceived fear and right. realizing that fear in most areas, you know, the acronym I love for it is, you know, false evidence appearing real and that there's real fears, you know, jumping off a building and going splat on the ground is a legit fear. It's gravity one-on-one, you know, it's not going to work for you. Perceived fear is talking to that 
girl that you fancy at the nightclub or, you know, giving that presentation at work in front Mm. of a group of people, they're perceived fears. Like getting a, what I, I, what I normally advise here is that you anchor a time in the past when you felt afraid and you do use it to deal with issues going forward. You know, for me, it was past races that I've done when I'm feeling anxious about an upcoming one. But the analogy I use that most guys can kind of connect with here is like, remember the first time you kissed a girl, like you were terrified. Like I was about 10 years old, Darren. I remember my palms are sweaty. I was like, Ooh, I was like, I wonder, can I do this and just not do it and then tell them all the guys that I did. Like, I, was so, I was so afraid. I was that yeah. guy. And now, you know, like I kiss my partner every day and it's nothing. You think nothing yeah. of it. So there's a lot of times in the past, a driving test, you know, a date, whatever it is, when we felt afraid and you anchor time in the past when you felt afraid to deal with future fears that come up or present fears that come up. So failure, fear is a big thing. Cultivating what I call the pillars of self-discipline is really helpful too. Mm. For me, I have three things that I do consistently every day that help me become disciplined. Like one of my mentors used to tell me, Darren, that successful people do what they have to do regardless of how they feel. And I've spent the last five, even six, seven years trying to cultivate that, that I don't base how I feel doesn't determine what I do. I do the things that I have to do because I said I was going to do them. And right. you know, I build those anchors. For me, it's getting up in the morning early, you know, 5 a.m. if I'm training for a race so that it doesn't impact my day with my family or my friends, you know, running at the end of workout, something I don't particularly enjoy. Although I love fitness, I don't particularly like running. I find it really yeah. difficult, really humbling because I'm not built to run. And I read a little bit every day, something that I used to struggle with, particularly when I started first, not so much now, but reading, learning from other people's mistakes doing that consistently. There's small things that add up that lead to big results when the compound effect starts to kick in. So you're building those disciplines. You're building that anchors in your life that the things you know would make your life better if you just did them consistently over time. Four, understand the role that your habits play. Like, I love, I think it's a Seneca quote, the old Stoic philosopher that, you know, become a, form good habits and then become a slave to them. Like, you are what you repeatedly do. So you're realizing that your habits are going to determine your success. You don't decide your future, you decide your habits and your habits decide your future. So make sure that if you have unsupportive habits, eating habits, fitness habits, mindset habits, self-talk habits, where your you know, own biggest enemies between your two ears, you need to deal with that ego habits. That's a habit. Ego acting in place of your authentic self, true self, whatever. That's a habit that yeah. you've cultivated and ingrained. And it's, it's because you've done it consistently, it's become automatic. But like every habit, you can break it. So look at your habits, see in your life where they're not serving you. And then the final thing I'll say there, it's not so much an ego tip, but I make a lot of my decisions, Darren, off what I call my 97-year-old rule, where when I'm trying to decide if I should or shouldn't do something, in most cases, I will ask, well, what would my 97-year-old on my deathbed regret doing more? And as a result, it's kind of my version of what you would do for free, but on the other end of the spectrum. Mm. And that gives me a lot of clarity in what I do. And when, when I started to ask that question more frequently, I started to get a lot clearer on the things that were important to me. And I definitely fell into the category of like, I I can work into that type A personality where it's go, 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 all, 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 over committing to things, constant go. I'm quite high energy, so I can do a lot, but it would come at the cost of other things. And, you know, I could fall into, you know, addiction in particularly when it comes to things like fitness, but I also did it with work. And when my daughter was born, Holly's six now, And when she was two or three, I was in that kind of workaholic mode. 
And when I started to ask that question and that 97-year-old rule, I was making so many decisions then that didn't lend to what I wanted to have on my deathbed. Like right. I would have times where I could bring her to the playground and do something, but I'd also have a podcast I might need to record or emails I need to get back to. And you can get so caught up or I could, I won't put words in other people's mouths, but I got, got so caught up in the day-to-day elements yeah. of life that I forgot to ask the bigger questions and take a bigger look and bigger picture at what I really wanted. And once I started to ask, well, what would I regret on my deathbed more? Sending all of those emails and clearing my inbox or not, or, or going to the playground with Holly. And yeah. when I started to do that consistently, I started to get clear on the things that were valuable to me. Now, I also got way better at my time. I hired more people. I'm very good with time. I batch my podcast now. You know, I yeah. don't do my email. My team does that. I do my Instagram DMs and I batch all of those. So I'm quite good with time management now. But they're just tactics, daily mm-hmm. tactics that help me get the things I need to get done, but not come at the cost of the things that are important to me. And I think asking that question, the next time you're struggling with the decision on any area, the relationship, business decision, fitness decision, diet decision, the coach you go with, the program you go on, the books you read, like it, it comes back to that. What would your 97-year-old regret more? Like it yeah. can be as simple as, should I watch this on Netflix or go read that book that's positively going to impact my life in a good way? Like there, there's, and you don't have to get it right every time. Like, no. you know, you don't, like it's not, I don't have a hundred percent strike record. There's the times when I mess up more than anybody else, but it's just, you're trying not to do it the same mistakes yeah. over and over again as i mentioned you're trying to check in with it like i've had a days when i've reacted when you know i've got angry particularly with holly or my partner for silly stuff yeah. because i'm tired or i'm emotional yeah and then I, I look at it at the end of the day and i'll do a, a reflection on the day and i'm like fuck i'm like that's not the kind of dad i want to be or the partner yeah. i want to be and i normally apologize like even in holly when she's six i'm like look i'm really sorry i snapped you earlier i was like i'm in bad mood because i'm tired i was like that has nothing to do with you so it, it's communicating that and i still yeah. do it you know it, it's owning up to that and putting it back off yourself and, and onto the other person realize look you didn't do anything wrong there's nothing wrong with you for me it, it's making sure that her self-worth is good as well i don't want her to think you know she's yeah. done something wrong when it's my shit that i'm projecting onto yeah. her like so it's bringing that awareness to it and i'll continue to do that you know and i won't get it right every day anyone on here same as you darren we won't get it right every day but at least if you're doing it more often than not you're going to see the positive results from it so they're the five things that i would take away that could potentially help someone's life if you adapt one or all five based on your current scenario yeah i think they're great five things and i think you know the point there about self-awareness and about the things that we're not perfect. Life is not perfect. And it's having that acceptance, right? Having that self-reflection and just trying to get better, you know, and then there's this cliche of getting 1% better every day, but you know, it kind of makes sense. Right. And, you know, just trying to reflect on where you're at, you know, we, we keep chasing the fu- the future instead of being present in the here and now. And that's something that I've had to work with myself. And like you said, you know, you're kind of gung ho, you're, you're a high achiever, you want to achieve, you want to grow your business. But actually, why are you doing all of this? And will five minutes or will 20 minutes down the park really make a big impact? Probably not. Right. So, yeah, I think that's great, Brian. And I really, really appreciate your time today. Um, It's been a great discussion, one which we could carry on for hours, I feel. But um, how can people connect with you, Brian? You know, your socials, your books, all that kind of good stuff. Amazing. Thanks so much again, Darren. I've had a blast. I've read some great questions here. So I really enjoyed that. So thank you. Um, so podcast is the Brian King podcast, Instagram, Brian King Fitness, and the books are all on Amazon um, or anywhere books are found. So again, it depends on what way you like to consume information. If, if you like to listen, 
podcast, I would definitely go check out the Brian Keen podcast. If you're more visual, check out Instagram maybe. Um, and if you like reading either the books or the newsletter on the website. So it really just depends on how people like to consume their information. Yeah, perfect. I definitely recommend your Insta and your podcast. Um, yeah, two great resources. So thanks very much for your time again, Brian. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.